Welcome to the Sport Mind podcast series, where I sit down with world-leading guests and unlock the secrets to mental strength in sports. Today, before you dive into the episode, I have something special for all listeners. Are you struggling with self-doubt, overwhelmed by performance anxiety, battling inconsistency, or facing fear of failure in your sport? Are you looking to overcome these obstacles and conquer the mental game? Well, I've got just the toolkit for you. An ebook I wrote called Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport, which you can get today completely free of charge. This comprehensive ebook is a treasure trove of practical and actionable strategies tailored for athletes who want to unblock the most common mental obstacles. Each chapter offers digestible advice, providing immediate tools you can apply to enhance your mental game. Readers have been raving about the insights and the transformations they've experienced with this guide. Teresa from California emailed recently saying, Your guide is brilliantly helpful. I've just been getting into it and I'm truly excited to use it to help with the obstacles I face regularly. I wrote this ebook to be concise, punchy, and most importantly, practical for immediate application. And the best part? It's completely free. A token of your commitment to your mental and athletic growth. So click on the link in the show notes right now to grab your copy of Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport or simply visit the SportMind Hub by googling SportMind Hub. Equip yourself today with the knowledge and tools to face those mental challenges head on. Now, let's jump into today's episode and get ready to elevate your mental game to the next level. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to your next episode of the podcast series. Today, I explore the fundamentals of health and peak performance. I'm Jesse Engelbrecht, and I'm delighted to introduce a guest whose expertise bridges the gap between athletic performance and personal health, David Jacko Jackson. David is not only a former professional rugby player, but also a master instructor with Oxygen Advantage, an accredited strength and conditioning coach with UKSCA, and a performance enhancement and corrective exercise specialist certified by NASM. After a brain injury ended his rugby career, he turned to breathwork, not just as a form of recovery, but as a new vocation to assist others. Jacko's journey is one of adaptation and education. He understands the power of breath and its profound impact on our lives, from managing stress and anxiety to boosting athletic performance. His approach is informed by personal experience and a deep-seated desire to share the benefits of breathwork with a wider audience. In our conversation today, We'll delve into how breathing can influence every aspect of our physiology and psychology. We'll discuss the principles of the oxygen advantage and how Jacko has used these to help individuals from all walks of life to achieve their full potential. We'll also get a chance to hear about Pro Breathwork, an app designed to bring the power of tailored breathing exercises to users everywhere, encapsulating Jacko's mission to normalize breathwork as a daily practice. If you're eager to learn more about Jacko's work or wish to connect with him, you can find a wealth of resources and contact information on the Oxygen Advantage website. Simply visit the link in the show notes to explore his programs, upcoming workshops, and a deep dive into his breathwork methodologies. For daily inspiration and a glimpse into his breathwork-focused lifestyle, follow David Jacko Jackson on Instagram. Link is also in the show notes. His feed is a rich tapestry of practical tips, client success stories, and the beautiful vistas of North Wales that backdrop his own breathwork practice. So whether you're a professional athlete, a weekend warrior, or simply someone looking to improve your well-being, today's episode is sure to provide valuable insights. 
Let's welcome David Jacko Jackson. David Jackson, also fondly known as Jacko from the Oxygen Advantage. Welcome to the next episode of the podcast series. Really delighted to have you here. We were speaking a little bit off air about uh, some yeah. of the breathing stuff that I've been going down with. And yeah, super excited to have you. So listen, welcome. How's life treating you? You, you shared that you recently moved to Wales quite recently. Yes, we recently moved to a beautiful part of the world in North Wales. I can see the sea out of my window at the back and Snowdonia Mountain uh, range is, is behind us. There is a lot of cloud and a lot of rain, but so when the sun does come out, you run down to the beach or you jump in the car and you get, when the sun's out, you go and get it. And, and when it's not, you hide away and you record podcasts with amazing yeah, people right. like yourself. <laughs> oh, thank you. So beach is, is walking distance from where you are? No, it's not walking distance. It's a bit more expensive yeah. to be right by the beach, but we can yeah. see it. We're up in the foothills of Snowdonia, so we're a little bit high up. Oh, fantastic. Um, and, and are you a mountaineering type of guy? Do you like going up in the hills? I ran up Snowdon six times in 24 hours for an event last year, if that counts. Jeez, I think that's just about it. <laughs> <laughs> but probably not a history. Like back when I played rugby, like I played professional rugby and rest days were not spent climbing mountains because they wouldn't okay. really count as a rest day. So I was very actually anti doing stuff like that. But my wife is very into it and she got me into it. And over the last 10 years, I've gradually come to from liking it okay because you could eat loads of snacks along the way or whatever to, yeah, to, to signing up for ultra running events and things. And the, the whole nasal breathing experience that you described was very, very similar to me. It's what gets me through those things now. But at the start, 50 meters, I'd have snot pouring down my face. From a nose into my and it was like, this is, nasal breathing isn't better. I was like, this feels horrendous. Totally, yeah. And yeah, and and thus the, the rabbit hole opens up and you either jump in it or you, or someone pushes you into, you're going to go into it at some point. If, if you listen yeah. to this, if you listen to this podcast, you, you're in it. <laughs> this is the start of it. And, and just to give context, because our listeners might not have seen it, one of the first things I said to you, you listening to a podcast five six years ago tim ferris had a breathing expert on and he said hey anyone running right now do yourselves a favor shut your mouth breathe through your nose me as an athlete kind of had a bit of an ego i was like ah, i can do this it's okay like mm. you could only get about 50 meters i was like what is this like brain fog feeling high about a collapse and ever since then it's been nose breathing so do you want to just give some context around your entry into it and yeah how you got into it all yeah I guess ironically, for, I don't know if it's ironic, but just, yeah. But for me, I, what actually got me into it was a traumatic brain injury. So I'd had a, a series of concussions throughout my professional rugby career back in 2013. So 10 years ago now, the final one I had, I had a small bleed on the brain, a seizure on the training field. And that was a... Yeah, the most difficult time or one of the most difficult times in my life to try and recover. It took me a year to fully recover in sort of symptom management wise. But what I wasn't aware of was the effect that it had had on my nervous system and my breathing. And it wasn't until a few years later did I actually come across this relationship between things like the brain gut axis and, and brain injuries and breathing. So... I had some skin issues and things like that that were a result of like gut dysfunction that had potentially come from the brain injury. And then also seeing some research 
that my wife kind of slid in front of me of like, you've had a brain injury. I think this is relevant for you. And it was like, if you've had a brain injury, the chances of you having disruption to those respiratory centers that are in your brain, it's like, okay, well, that makes sense because they're in the brain, of significantly high and things like your respiratory rate, the mechanics of your breathing and your sensitivity to carbon dioxide uh, negatively affected. And the question I had for myself at the start was, okay, am I affected? Is my breathing bad? Like, how do I know if I'm breathing right? And I couldn't answer that question. At that point, I was probably four years post my rugby career and I'd retrained in strength and conditioning. I've okay. been working with Paralympic teams, swim team and, and some athletes heading to the Rio games in 2016. And then, yeah, I, I, I couldn't, it was almost felt like that thing of like everywhere I looked, I was seeing this thing of breathing and it was like, mm -hmm. I guess that's how like things work, like social media works, yeah, that you start following a few things and then your feet start to feet. Anyway, so everywhere I look, I'm just seeing, I'm like, well, how do I, I was going to speak to my friend who was a physio with British Athletics. I'm like, look at me, look at my breathing. Am I doing it right? How do I know it? How do I know if I'm doing it right? And sure. these, yeah, these sort of questions couldn't, I found very difficult to answer. We never, in, when I played rugby, we never taught anything about training breathing and I had some very good coaches and very good SNC coaches but breathing wasn't something that we either trained yeah. or worked on and then from an SNC perspective going through all my UKSEO accreditations and all that shebang there's other than racing like Vesalvum like bracing for a heavy lift like there's nothing about breathing and so I wouldn't even be able to tell you pre my injury whether I was breathing well or not but the level of physical performance I was at, I would suggest that I would have probably been better than I was post-injury. So sure. I came across the Oxford Vantage and, and Patrick McKeown and, and his work, I ended up training with him initially just to just to embed and understand my for my own my own knowledge to help myself and help my brain. But very quickly, I started to see the effect it was having on performance, on recovery, on on physical well-being and, and mental sort of how I was feeling and how I was sleeping, how I was able to manage stress because I had better control of my nervous system. And uh, yeah, I, I ended up falling in love with teaching it. It's as an essence, I'm still an accredited SNC coach, UKCA. I spoke at the conference this year about like breath holding in training and recovery, which was really exciting to see that strength coaches being interested uh, in this. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, the most of the work I do these days is in professional sport is with rugby or, or football, mainly just because rugby is the, the sport I know. And then, yeah, I fell in love with giving back what I wish I'd have known to the sport. And there's some really, there is, there are things around like brain injuries and concussions that are really important to address those breathing dysfunctions that may have been created, but it's also very good way of assessing somebody's like nervous system control and like injury impact and it mm -hmm. goes beyond brain injuries i don't want someone course, to yeah, yeah. switch off here and think oh i haven't had brain it's not mm -hmm. applicable to me like the performance improvements you get by training your respiratory system from various different dimensions like strength like training the strength and endurance of your breathing muscles cannot be done through normal traditional training means because it just doesn't provide enough resistance. It'd be like mm. trying to get strong at squats by only ever lifting the bar and never putting any weights on. You would just, 
never have enough resistance to There's build any actual yeah, strength. Yeah. yeah. And so the resistance to your breathing normally is either you've got two, well, you've got three holes in your face, like two little ones and one big one. And the two little ones provide more resistance. And hence why me and you, when we first tried to use it for running, felt hard. But it's not enough resistance to actually train the strength of your muscles. And the reality is for most people, when they're training at high intensities, they're going to use their mouth. And that definitely provides even less, 50% less resistance than the nose, so they say. And that's just one dynamic of it. There's like the mechanics of actually how we breathe, not just how strong we are. And then things like, our CO2 tolerance, which is linked in with things like our lactate tolerance and lactate threshold. So we can very much work on our aerobic and anaerobic systems through how we actually add a training, add a breathing specific element to the training that we're already doing. So one of the things that I'm big on with the athletes I work with is integrating this breath training into what they're doing. Uh, You've put thumbs up because they don't want to always do more and more stuff. And there's recovery stuff. There's, you know, we can dive into all of this, but mm. the recovery side of it in the, how do you manage your breathing in your sport? But then how do you manage your nervous system when you finish your sport and recover for the next day? So, you know, there's the psychological side of it as well. There's a, a huge impact of that mm. on breathing as well. But uh, yeah, that sort of encompasses all the, or probably all the different areas that I, I work on. Amazing. And there's so many bits of granular detail I want to get into with you. And I'm really <laughs> excited with that with like the pre, during and post area. You mentioned nervous system a lot. A, a few athletes I'm working with actually have nervous system coaches now, which I think interesting. Wow. One thing I want to comment on is uh, just for context. That's themselves, those, hopefully. A nervous system, you should be, well, we should be the coach of our own nervous system. Jeez, you don't yes, need I, it. I'm being biased. I'm being... <laughs> This is not normally like me, but I'm like, what? A nervous That's system right. coach? Why? I think the, yeah. the, the, the few athletes that have used this person in particular, it's been guidance and it's been, it's almost like yeah. a little bit. And again, I haven't spoken to this person, but it's more about like a lot of reframing, a lot of acceptance there. Yeah. And, and actually it's like, you've got the tools, go away and work on that now. So I yeah, don't think yeah. they rely on them as like a crutch. It's almost like, hey, you're yes, like, I think that- that's my, it's my initial reaction. <laughs> and obviously that person is probably doing some f- unbelievable yes. work by the sounds of it. So mm. I'm not, don't take that the wrong way. Yeah. It was more like one thing that I want athletes and people to do, there doesn't have to be athletes, but just people to do is mm. just understand how much power and control of their own body and their nervous system that they have. And the bit that we teach with breathing gives us a very simple and practical tool that is, um, immediate the response that we can elicit within the within the you can change your physiology there's stuff for like if you don't if you come across heart math you can show that you can change your physiology by even thinking positively compared to thinking about something negatively but your breathing like directly impacts things like your nervous system and your heart rate like straight away can you, and you can, can measure you go it down you can that with it. a little bit more so when you're talking nervous system i think there's a good thread to look at so what type of breathing methods what type of breathing patterns would you encourage someone to say, hey, listen, yeah. my nervous system feels a bit out of whack. Where do, where do we start? Yeah. Can we uh, just start by quickly just framing it, particularly for a sporting context. If you go, mm-hmm. most sports require us to have good peripheral vision. And most sports require us to have good focus and concentration. And most sports will require us to have, a, have good decision making. All of those things are impaired when you're in more of a state of 
sympathetic dominance, like overly upregulated. And yes, we want to be that classic inverted U arousal curve, but your, your breathing is a reflection of your nervous system. And so the, the more I'm faster, less controlled and typically mouth breathing does two main things that I'm aware of that I work on for people is one, the faster breathing rate gets rid of more carbon dioxide. So you reduce the level of carbon dioxide of the body that impairs circulation and blood flow and oxygen delivery. So particularly to the brain. So you get less blood flow and oxygen supply to the brain. When you can't manage your, um, there's probably three things. When you can't manage your uh, respiratory rate, like that is putting you in a more um, heightened uh, sympathetic tone. Mm -hmm. And in that state, we know that things like our peripheral vision narrows and our brain states change. And then you've got LinkedIn that when you can't, when you can't control your breathing well, you've got to be mouth breathing. And the difference between nasal breathing and mouth breathing, again, are decision-making, cognitive processing, um, executive function sort of parts of the brain are better equipped or online or more active um, when we're in a calmer, less sympathetic dominant. So mm. our breathing is a great way to allow us to have all of those things, to have better clarity of thought, to have better peripheral vision, to have better oxygen delivery to our tissues, to have better circulation and so what does that there i just thought it was useful to to, yes, to, no, very, to give people useful. that okay and, and hopefully just, just people that, yeah not, not to disrupt your flow too much no no, no use the word flow out of interest because what you're describing there feels like you're heightening the triggers to get closer to a flow state so flow i'm not state. sure if yeah. breathing and flow yeah, if there's totally. a bit of a synergy there yeah what, what do you think yeah, on that totally yeah flow state <laughs> is like one of the pillars that i i work people on like it's the yeah, and at various different people have different onboarding points of like what they want to do. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Not everyone necessarily comes because like they want to get into flow state. They might come because they want to improve their like anaerobic conditioning and they need to do some. They they think they need to do hard work and blah blah blah. And it's like the breath is a great way to just take them on a bit of a journey to all sorts of different stuff. But yeah, no, that what you've described exactly that. And I think that one of the things that I remember having during rugby was. I'd be classically described as a coach, and I used to hate it, but it was probably true. It was like, a, you're a confidence player. When you're confident, you play really well. When you're not confident, you're a bit crap. <laughs> and what tended to happen for me was like, if the first couple of things or the first thing I did in the game was really good, I'd play well because I'd be confident. But I didn't have a way of like turning up in a state and being able to manage my arousal curve. Like there was loads of times I was like way too... Like, way too aroused and wasn't able to manage nerves well and it was basically just a bit of a lottery as to whether that first mm. thing that i did was good or not reliable isn't it yeah yeah and, it, and i just didn't feel like i had any skills or was giving any skills or things to practice whereas mm -hmm. you can practice control of your breathing and your nervous system away from training as well as within training and then have a feeling of like, i can actually control how i'm turning up and feeling and therefore going to be able to perform. But this sport, like it's massively valuable for people. And yeah, like I said before, I, I feel very lucky that I get to teach this now to people that are in the position I, I was, and there's a fire in my belly from, I wish I knew this. And I think that it's one of the things that 
helps me be passionate about coaching. I think when you're passionate about coaching, people feed off that. But yeah, let's give people some detail then of yeah. like... And, and on that, I'm not sure to yeah. maybe help this. I, I love that inverted view of optimal performance. And this might give a bit more detail because I'm assuming there's the under aroused state. You get to your maximum and yeah. then there's the, the other side where you're over aroused. Is there different breathing methods you use when you're under aroused, when you're over aroused? That might be a good practical tool exactly. to work with. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah, you, this you, this isn't your first part. You've done this before, haven't you? Um, when we're talking about breathing our nervous system, we just need to understand very simple relationship. With every breath you take, which I can't say that without feeling like I'm singing and six things. <laughs> with every breath you take, on the inhale, your heart rate speeds up slightly and is more sympathetic dominant, fight or flight upregulated. With every exhalation we take, it slows down your heart rate. There's more parasympathetic promoting, rest, digest, relaxation. That's happening with every breath you take. So it's supposed to be able to, it's supposed, your nervous system is something that's there that's supposed to be fluctuating and be able to be responsive to tiny little changes, constantly noting what's going on in my internal environment and what's going on in my external environment and responding appropriately. And then understanding that and you know we'll, we can talk about the, the vagus nerve and why that's important and some really simple stuff around recovery that we'll tend to do to help with that the understanding that that helps with the communication of this of this piece but understanding that allows me to go okay so if i need to try to down regulate then i'm going to want to do something with this exhalation if i'm wanting to up regulate we could do something with our um, inhalation but actually, I'll come back to this. We actually do breath holding pre-sports okay. to upregulate for some other reasons as well. Um, but then, and if I want to, if I feel like I'm in the sweet spot, and I want to stay there. Well, then you're going to want to balance your breathing. Mm. Um, and within all of that, is definitely important to understand a little something I said before about like not breathing out too much CO2. We want to be able to control the volume of total volume of air that we're breathing. And that the there's only two things that you can change with the volume of air that you're breathing. And people will be like, inhale and exhale. No, no, as in what your brain can actually change in a breathing cycle. It can change the speed of your breathing, so your respiratory rate, and it can change the size of each of those breaths, the tidal volume. That's the only thing right. it can change. And, our, and, and not surprisingly, two different parts within the brainstem that control those two different parts. Yeah, And so that's how your brain manipulates the speed and the size of each of those breaths to control the volume of air that we're breathing. And the volume of air we're breathing dictates the, the amount of CO2 in our lungs and within our blood. Yeah. The, the, the levels of oxygen within the blood, are, you, you're, you have oxygen is so important, it's in so much abundance that it's actually not something that changes that much. Um, you've got okay. 3 trillion red blood cells, 95 to 99% of them are saturated with oxygen in, in normal conditions and normoxia. And 75% of the oxygen that you breathe out with the, with the breath, you breathe out with the next one. Like you don't, the oxygen levels are not, it's so important, it's not changing that much. Um, and, um, yeah, that then lets us go, okay, so understanding all of that, I want to be aware of like the volume of air that I'm breathing. But if I'm going to influence my nervous system and I need to downregulate, I'm going to extend my exhalation. I'm going to start to slow down and control my exhale and notice a slowing down of the heart rate and a calming of my nervous system. When you slow that rate as well, so long as you don't compensate by taking like a massive breath in and make it stressful, then you're also going to be gently keeping a little bit of carbon dioxide within the body, which is going to help with circulation, help with oxygen, really help with your brain states. Mm -hmm. 
the balanced breathing. Then the other one I said was about upregulation. We actually use breath holding like for sports people. And, it, and even actually for, you say, like executives, if someone's going out to deliver a, a talk or a speech. And one of the things simply is like when we hold the breath, it doesn't have to be like a crazy strong breath hold, but when we hold the breath, it is upregulating for the nervous system. We will see heart rate come up, but also we're keeping CO2 within the body, which helps with that vasodilation, helps with that oxygen delivery. So it's, it gets quite a bad rap, doesn't it? It's, yeah. It's, think, yeah, whereas it's actually when the little bit I've researched, you can probably explain more the benefits of CO2. Like you maybe just mentioned it. What are we talking about here? It's it is the way your body, the, the central, so you have different chemoreceptors for the uh, control your breathing. Our, what controls are like normal day-to-day -day breathing are central chemoreceptors in the brainstem, in the medulla. And they are sensitive to changes primarily of carbon dioxide and pH of the blood rather than oxygen doesn't change that much. So it wouldn't be very reliable because it's so important. It wouldn't be reliable to notice that because it's not, and the effect it has on the oxygen doesn't change the, like the pH of the blood, whereas carbon dioxide does. 65% of carbon dioxide has to get transported via the blood to get to the lungs to get out by being converted to carbonic acid. And you don't need to be a chemist to know that's going to make it more acidic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I always say, I said, when I'm teaching this, I like, I, I teach, you don't have to have done like a chemistry degree to do the Oxford yeah. certification with this. Yeah. And so there's people that are like scared of, not scared of, but anyway, they don't like chemistry. I'm like, look, mm. chemistry's easy carbonic acid do you reckon it makes it more acid or alkaline they're like they're thinking it's a trick question they're like they go acid i'm like yeah hey, exactly it's easy so yeah so the carbon dioxide will change the ph of the blood very quickly and you're generating carbon dioxide all the time as part of our cellular respiration about 200 milliliters per minute just when we're at rest and obviously that increases when we start exercising and what happens when you start exercising your heart rate goes up or your breathing rate goes up and the volume of air you're breathing goes up and therefore, as that more CO2 is being generated, you get rid of it. What tends to happen is we over time, we've become less efficient with our breathing. So more inefficient, meaning we do more of it. And when we do more of it, we get rid of more CO2 than we potentially need to. Right. When we have become more sensitive to CO2, we get the opposite of vasodilation. We get vasoconstriction. So blood vessels mm -hmm. constrict. People suffer with like poor circulation, cold hands and feet, brain fog because blood flow to the brain is going to be impaired and then there's also this effect that carbon dioxide is essential as a catalyst that allows oxygen that's bound to hemoglobin to be released from the blood yeah. into the tissues so getting oxygen in your blood isn't the end but it's good <laughs> but you need to get it out of your blood it needs to get into your tissues and we need carbon dioxide in order for that to be done efficiently carbon dioxide has an effect on the receptors that manage our blood pressure they have an effect on the brain's relationship with anxiety. The more sensitive we are to carbon dioxide, the more prone we are physiologically to feelings of anxiety. And then it's also helpful for vagal tone. And there's, and there's probably a whole host of other things that it's useful for as well. But yeah, yeah. essentially, most of us are too sensitive to carbon dioxide and need to do some practice or part of our breath training can be practicing being comfortable with a little bit more. How do you keep a little bit more carbon dioxide in your body? You either breathe less mm -hmm. or, and or practice some breath holding. Mm. Uh, 
and, and the breathing less is very calming and relaxing. Breath holding mm-hmm. isn't suitable if someone's more. got like a heart condition or mm-hmm. pregnant or any like serious health conditions. Mm-hmm. That's just one thing to to note. But yeah, it's there and, for and anyone that's fit maybe like like the off the shelf pop breathing. So feel free to correct me. But the the box breathing method, the in for four, hold for four, out for four, or the four seven eight. I, again, feel free to shoot me down with any right. of those. No, good. It's Go my favorite it. thing to do. It's my favorite thing at the moment. So I've already, and I won't put you on the spot, but I've already explained and taught you something. You were noddling along and we've only just met, but you look like an intelligent guy. And I know you understand what <laughs> I said about... Up for failure, really. No, but I know that you understand that I said that there's only two things that your breathing, your brain can change for your breathing. And no, I'm not talking about the mechanics of how it does it. We can talk about that later. But in terms of the volume of air that you're breathing, yeah, mm-hmm. that's what your brain's interested in because that's going to dictate how much carbon dioxide is in your lungs and in your blood. The volume of air, the respiratory rate, the speed of breathing, and the size of each of those breaths, the tidal volume. That's all it can change. So mm-hmm. if I do four, uh, a four by four box, yeah, mm-hmm. in terms of nervous system wise, we're talking about it being a balanced inhale and exhale, both four seconds and a, and a pause at each. So it's, that's going to be calming, hence the special military and special forces tend to quote this. That's, the, that's why box breathing got famous. Right. Now, Take the four second inhale on our box breathing and then the same four, seven, eight is a four second inhale. Mm-hmm. One thing is you don't know what someone's mechanics are like when they're doing that and that would affect yeah. things. So are they doing it for the nose? They're doing it for the mouth? Are they doing it with their upper chest? They're doing it with their diaphragm? Is the rib cage expanding? Or leave that to one side, but that is important. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that people miss and don't understand is I can, I'll demonstrate now two very different four second inhales. So here's my first one, four second inhale. I'm doing four, seven, eight. And there was a doctor in the New York Times says it's the best thing to do. And they go, okay, mm. I'm going to do my four second inhale. I'll do them nasal. So at least that bit's good. Four second inhale. Yeah, that was a four second. Now I'm going to do another four second inhale. Okay, the screen didn't freeze. Now you're laughing because I made it really obvious. That's how I like mm. to make things nice and easy. Are they the same? If I'm copying you, when I stay stuck... Hold on, wait, answer. I'm grilling you now. <laughs> Were those two four-second inhales the same? For people that are list- that aren't watching and are just listening? Uh, no, they weren't the same. They were totally different. And what was different about them? The first one that you did felt like it was... Obviously, you could hear it, and it felt like it was more in the chest. I could see your shoulders rising. Where the yeah. second one, it even me just practicing it with you, felt a bit deeper in my diaphragm. There was a stillness. There was more of a depth to it. That's my very basic way of maybe yeah. putting it. I could be okay. completely wrong, but that's... No, no, perfect. But I'm going to go even simpler. Use my equation. Was the respiratory rate the same? That feels like a bit of a trick question. Was the respiratory mm. rate the same? They were a four-second inhale. I'm going to say no. But they were a four-second inhale. They were a four-second inhale, but very they were being inhaled in different ways. It felt like two very different methods you were doing there. Yeah, so but... that's why I'm saying no. Okay, but, but they might be, they might how be. do you measure respiratory rate? Speed of breathing. Speed they of were breath. both four-second inhales. Yeah, they were, they were both four-second inhales. So that bit was the same. Mm-hmm. What was different? Was it the quality of the oxygen or where it went? No, nope. you're, you're trying to go too I'm complicated. Too I said I wasn't going to put you on the spot. <laughs> I had two, remember two things. We said respiratory rate. And the depth of the breathing. Uh, the size of the breath. The size. Depth the doesn't mean big. Depth doesn't okay. mean big. That's we're getting into mechanics. But the size of the breath. 
So what you observed was, okay, they were both four second inhales. So he didn't change the speed of the breathing. Mm -hmm. I changed the velocity of the air coming in mm -hmm. to one was a very big breath. Mm -hmm. The volume of air in the first one was massive. The volume of air in the, first, the second one was very tiny. Mm -hmm. So I'm having a completely different experience, my nervous system and levels of CO2 within the body. If I do a large volume of air in, what happens with the volume of air on the exhale? It's also going to be large. It's going to be large. If I take yeah, a small amount of air in, mm -hmm. what comes out is only a small amount. And when only a small amount comes out, that means CO2 is staying in. Okay, okay. The four-second like inhale. Carry on. I don't want to. Yeah, go on. The, you, let me just, this last little bit, and then you can go. Uh, the four-second inhale is just the time for the inhalation. The volume of air that comes in is dictated by the velocity at which the air is coming in during those four seconds. So when someone says four, seven, eight is a great exercise, you can say, yeah, sure it is. But if you don't understand how that part of it, then you don't know whether someone's actually, they could be over breathing, they could be under breathing, they could be in a sweet spot. It's going to have a very different effect also on the nervous system when you're breathing rapidly potentially and ha yeah. what's going to dictate how well someone now calm and nicely someone could do a box breathing or a four mm. seven eight as an example would be how sensitive they are to carbon dioxide because that would dictate whether they feel like they need to go the urge will be stronger they have to breathe like that because mm -hmm. there's this auto, there's this significant auto setting for our breathing which is important yeah. Because you need to be breathing all the time. <laughs> you need that air in, yeah. Apologies. Just, I said I wasn't going to no, put you on the spot, this. and then I did, but it was... Honestly, keep putting me on the, the list, spot. I hope I that the learn. listeners were <laughs> coming along on, on the questioning. I'm sure they were. And when you said, again, this is going to sound a simple question, but I'll, I'll also preempt it. Is the breathing that you had where you just took the gentle air in and not the amount of velocity better than the one you took in the big one? Because... And this goes to the Bateco method. Again, shoot me down if that's wrong. But no, no. the Bateco method is that it's a more gentle approach. It's about, it's playing around with that CO2. Is there a link there between those things I've asked? Yes. A lot of the Oxford Vantage, who Patrick uh, start, Patrick McCune, who taught me, is the creator of the Oxford Vantage. He started off in Bateco. A lot of the functional breathing and the breathing light exercises that the people have come across with the Oxford Vantage are Bateco based. I want to say almost like, just flip it back on you of going what which one do you think is better which one which one's more efficient i like to use the word yeah. efficiency because it just makes because mm. breathing can be one of these things where it's like people are just we've never really thought about it and so we don't really have mm. sometimes the right language or terms to be able to make it similar to understand so i think about it as efficiency think of a does a car that uses like, loads of fuel, is that efficient? No, it's inefficient. No, it's, it's the second method, isn't it? It's the one where you're lighter in and you're lighter out. Yes. I am, yeah. So it's completely I'm spending less effort, less energy on breathing. I think one of the things that fascinates me, but I say, I keep saying this, I'm waiting for someone else to also find it fascinating. The re, you, you, you're breathing to get oxygen, right? And, and CO2 out. But let's take the oxygen in bit. In order for you to breathe, you have to expand your thorax in some way to decrease pressure so air moves in. In order for that to happen, muscle activation has to happen. Some muscles have got to contract, whether you do it well or not. There's got to be muscular contraction. So in order for that to happen, you've got to have oxygen. So in order for you to get oxygen in, you've already got to have oxygen. It's like the true chicken and egg of like, 
what came first. You have to have oxygen in order to be able to do the breathing to get the oxygen in. So, yeah, I find that for me is a, I love that sort of. Life. Yeah. No, I don't think you never answer the question, can you? It's probably a deeper question about yeah, it's, God. Yeah, sorry, I, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was jotting some notes down based on yeah. what you were just saying as well that I want to keep going down with. Because thinking about this, Andrew Huberman, you've come across Andrew Huberman and he, Who's he? and he's, uh, he's, um, he's a new. I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah, Everyone's okay. heard of Andrew Huberman. <laughs> it was like my heart sung. It's like, <laughs> like someone who hasn't heard of him must explain <laughs> Huberman. He's really big on that side breathing. He talks about that. Is he from, that... yeah, is he Stanford? Is it Stanford, Stanford University? Yeah. I haven't heard it's it. Like I haven't heard him say that. Yeah. I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care if I'm swearing. You're getting me here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm just the poster boy for him. I'm all of Hooverman. Every time I say is I get one penny from yeah. my bank from him. But yeah, yeah so he, he likes that side breathing. It, it, so, yeah. There's a few, if I can be slightly controversial, but without being like some, some knob that's just, because it's just not, but like he's, he does, his podcast is amazing. He's doing some fantastic way. He's like bringing like neuroscience to like the masses. Like, whoever thought that, we would have that so but with the side thing just there's a little bit of a gripe on me because i get a lot of questions for the coaches about it because we don't teach the this the physiological side as he say, yeah. as he describes it and i think one thing i'm always caught conscious of is like when someone has when someone's if i'm part if i'm part of the research study i'm biased already sure. so yeah. i've already got a bit of a problem yes, exactly. there and then the problem i have with it is it's not, it, it's, they, they, they had four things. The physical side was one of them. Meditation was the other, and there was like two others. Hmm. It's, it, the physical side was better than the other three things. Correct. Okay. It's not scientific to say it's the best way to calm your nervous system hmm. because we don't know if he didn't, if not one of the oxygen advantage exercises that we would teach were compared. So I'd be happy to, if it, if it, you know, if it, in a, in a study without bias, outperforms everything else then fine but at the moment it doesn't because we haven't actually compared it to so i just i get i just slightly disappointed in saying you should be saying it was better than these things Mm. and that you can't say it's the best yeah and you can't say it's the best he's pushing not pushing that agenda that's also sounds a bit harsh but yeah he's very much hangs his hat on that one he goes if if you only do one breathing method people do that one and maybe that's exactly like yourself which isn't fair as well yeah if they only do one breathing method, it definitely. If you're only going to do one, it definitely isn't. Okay. That isn't the go-to, in my opinion. What is it then? But I'm not Andrew Huberman. I don't have a million subscribers on YouTube or whatever, and I'm not a Stanford side. Take this with a pinch of salt because I'm just little old me. But <laughs> what is it? If you had to pick one, and if we're not able to say things like nasal breathing, quiet breathing, like I would. I just did it down to like really simple things like nasal breathing, quiet breathing as a starting point, but as an exercise and particularly about if we're looking to manage anxiety and very easily down regulators, a simple exercise of like many short pauses or many short breath holds, we call it, or it's a breathing recovery. It's got a few different names, but essentially you take two, you can take two breaths, two normal breaths in and out through the nose and then pause for just like one or two seconds, two breaths, pause with each two breaths you're just trying to calm and soften those two breaths and then the pause 
as you're able to relax into the pauses can gradually increase from like one or two seconds to two to three, three to four, and up to five seconds potentially. Depending on this is this is one of the things where what we do is as I feel you should do as a coach of anything is when we're working with people, we assess their breathing and then we give them the appropriate thing rather than exactly. one size fits all. Yeah, so yeah. not everyone is going to feel good pausing for five seconds. Mm-hmm. It depends on how sensitive they are to carbon dioxide and some assessments of their breathing that we would do with them. But that, generally speaking, is a very That's good a onboard. Mm-hmm. It's very mindful. You'd be very present two breaths to try and calm a response and then the pause slows down the total breathing rate for a uh, for a minute without you asking yourself to actually slow your breathing down because if someone's really stressed you say slow your breathing down they go they feel stressful to do that Mm. but just pause can you pause me for just a couple of seconds one second Mm. like it disrupts that fast breathing cycle when we're feeling a bit anxious and not regulated and the gentle pause is also helping just to recalibrate that CO2 sensitivity rather than like doing a, mm. I'm getting, I know the CO2 may be what's making me feel potentially a bit anxious, part, might be part of that, but using it as a way to then get rid of it, it's only going to make me more sensitive to it. Yeah. From what we understand, from what we know with, rather than that being just my opinion, that's what we understand through breathing science and how breathing affects our physiology. Getting rid of CO2 all the time and anytime you feel anxious, getting rid of it isn't going to address, might in the short term, yeah. but it's not going to address the long term because the long term you need to recalibrate that sensitivity to carbon dioxide. That's what we definitely know. That's not my opinion or Patrick's opinion. That is what the, the science, the science or studies within research for the last 20 years on breathing is, says. And just remind the listeners, what's that method called, please? Like I, many short breath holds. Many short breath holds, yeah. And quick, yeah. kind of to link this, because a lot of the athletes I work with, yes, anxiety and fear are two of the big things, either before the performance and actually even during it. Yeah. I'm using squash as the example. You get yeah. about about eight to 12 seconds between rallies. Yeah. If you're asking an athlete, say they're in the heightened state, their heart rate's high, they've just had a gut-busting rally, yeah. would, that, would you still apply that method, those two shorts and a pause, but they might not be able to even get there no. because they're trying to suck air no. in through their mouth? No. How would you help an athlete... I suppose it's two yeah. parts of this one, Jacko. The yeah. when their heart rate is crazy, they're having to gulp air, and secondly, when yeah. their when their fear center is going like crazy, how could you yeah. help an athlete with that? Yeah, really great question. And that one I gave before was like unre- it wasn't necessarily like sports related and sports specific. Neat, and it was more in relation to as a as a bit of a comparison that someone could try with the physiological side. Like for example, if someone's been finding the physiological side helping with them. Try what I just described there and just see if it gives you a similar effect. Uh, maybe worse, maybe better. I've been, be, I've been yeah, using be the a lot and yeah. I'm going I'm to use your method now okay. to test yeah. it out. Thanks. Um, <laughs> ironically, like sighing in general is potentially a sign of, if you, find, if you notice yourself sighing like without, like on auto quite regularly, it's actually a, a, a sign of a, a disruption to your breathing pattern, which okay. can be a signal that it's, you've got a bit of dysfunctional breathing to use, not great word as in it's a correct word but it's not it's not nice word to use it but yeah so in a sporting context understanding that in an intense sport squash or a lot of the professional players i work with it's an intense sport they get these short little breaks of time don't they and during that time understanding okay 
what is the thing? Why do I feel rubbish? I feel like I'm blowing out of my ass because my breathing rate has gone wild. So I need to control my breathing rate. Okay, so that's the first thing. Understanding that. Two things that are really important. Getting control of your exhalation is a key thing. So being able to slow down and control my exhalation is going to help with the 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 like additional like stressed arousal as well as get ourselves back in control of our uh, respiratory rate. If it, you're at very high intensity and you're like literally mouth pant, like <laughs> you're literally like having to pant and you can't catch your breath. Panting like that is very inefficient. Panting, just because it's automatic, doesn't mean it's optimal. And it's the opposite of optimal for breathing, for your actual recovery. And why does the one question people always ask me is like, well, why do we do that? on auto like why is that our default mm. if it's not optimal or not what we're supposed to why are you having to teach me something that's counterintuitive we have to just going back to understanding like the nervous system when you're panting like that what do you really want to do you want to stop mm. and it's like your that's emergency your, systems are going online aren't they basically going yes mm. yeah the what does the like central governor theory like mm. Or your breathing is going like putting you in a place where you're like, I cannot carry on. So we're stopping. It's because your body's going like, this is how I'm going to get you to finally actually stop. It gets you to stop. And once you've stopped, you've reduced your metabolic demand and then you can recover your breathing. Yeah. But if you're going to play a sport like squash and you've got eight seconds before you got to go again, I need to get a handle on my breathing. And if you're really hard panting like that, trying to just slow down your exhalation isn't going isn't gonna to cut it to start with. Mm -hmm. linking back to what i've said at the start around like co2 is our primary driver for our breathing you understand then okay the reason i'm breathing like that because i could put a pulse oximeter on you've got mine over there you could be blowing out of your ass and we put the pulse oximeter on you and i bet you you're at, at least 93 94 probably actually still in normal levels of oxygen okay. that won't it's not an oxygen issue it's that co2's got so high your body's wanting to get rid of it. So what we actually do in that instance is strong, mouthful, forceful. We call it a CO2 dump. Boom. Okay. The excess CO2 that's driving your breathing out of control, that's upregulating you and, you know, diminishing your performance in your recovery, get rid of it. Get rid of it for quick and effectively in a, a couple of breaths, a couple of seconds. Then if I had eight seconds rest, seeing the next rally, First two seconds, I've dumped CO2. The next six seconds, I'll be better able to control my respiratory rate and then actually slow my exhalation and get myself back to nasal rather than just mouth panting for the next eight seconds. Mm, so awesome. the shorter the window of time, use what we understand about breathing to get yourself in a better place. Ultimately, you want to get yourself back to nasal and get control of your exhalation. You might benefit from dumping CO2 um, initially if it's very like mouth panty now mm. one thing i have to caveat this with is if you do that you'll feel you'll be like wow that worked do it like someone do it straight away like later today when you're training whatever you'll notice it boom it works because it's just applying science to breathing okay yep. now if you then always do that every time you start to feel out of breath you don't actually build up your co2 tolerance so in training we want to refrain from doing that and we want to try and practice keeping the CO2 in, which feels uncomfortable psychologically. You're then training that aspect of it. 
but physiologically, you're improving the chemosensitivity, the receptors to carbon dioxide. You're building up that tolerance of it. And then you actually change, you move the needle. And then it takes a higher workload for you to get to that point where your mouth panting and out of control of your breathing. Mm, that's amazing. Yeah. That's really powerful stuff. Thank you for sharing that. And just using you know, one thing I always find athletes remembering to do it. You know, yes, you've given the yeah, perfect yeah, method. Big thing. Yeah, yeah, the heat totally. of the moment. It's just the remembering to do it. That is actually a lot of the problem. But let's just go back to the training because my follow-up question was going, okay, that's brilliant. Do athletes Just one, one other thing on that. Session? If okay. I can, just one other quick thing on that is you'd be surprised how bad people are ex exhaling. Mm, okay. We don't have the rhythm ability and we don't have the strength to do it. But for the ribs to actually be able to come down and in, like flexion, internal rotation, because... Mm -hmm particularly lot of the power sport athletes, we've got a lot of posterior chain strength and we're in a much more like extended open rib cage position. Like you see some more like rib flaring type of shapes. And we find it difficult to get the ribs down and in. And we don't have the strength through the intercostals and the, the obliques to be able to do it because we don't train it. Mm. And then how and we're we stuck it? in this position where we can't get them down and in. So there's some rib mobilizations that I do, some strengthening for exhalation muscles as well as inhalation muscles. Um, and mm. We probably haven't got time for but this, but like rib cage position and alignment is paramount for pelvis, core, shoulder. But th think of squash. Your where does your scapula sit? Your shoulder blade. It rides on the rib cage. If my rib cage is projected forward and tilted down, mm. the scapula doesn't stay in a night. Like scapula goes with it. Mm. So we get a lot of yeah freedom and improvement in just like function at the shoulder. When you get the rib cage in a back in a better position and the shoulder blade sliding and riding on that nice rib cage because they're connected together. But people find it difficult, again, if you've never been taught it or trained it, and I never had either before as well. And I wish I had have done it was too late for me, but being able to breathe and expand into the back of that rib cage and get that get those posterior ribs opening up mm. is a game changer. And literally in I feel like I've it's just somebody described it to me yesterday. It was the first time I'm doing it. It's like a cheat code because you literally do. Yeah, yeah. I've got like a, just a little series where they take three breaths in the case, in the space of about 90 seconds. And then their thoracic rotation and their shoulder internal or external rotation, just like, you know, a 20 degree, 30 degree, like a huge improvement. Mm. So it's, the improvement so much that I don't even measure it as in, I just look at it. And screenshot it if, or in person take a photo of it and then show them it afterwards. And they don't even need to see it because they're like, Feel yeah, it. I'm like literally rotating around like this now before I was stuck there. You could get a, you could get your caliper and measure it, but you yeah, actually yeah. don't even need to because it's that tangible. And let me just be clear with that last bit you Sorry. said. Yeah. Is it, no, this is great, man. This is the rabbit holes that I, that I was hoping you were going to go down. <laughs> what you said there, is it, do you sort out the physiological part of the person first or do you sort out the breathing first? What happens first? So do you mean like in terms of like nervous system or breathing? No, what we said about the rib cage and the kind of scapula. Oh, and yeah. Stuff. Oh, yeah. So uh, do maybe, we do... Maybe you said it, but I didn't quite maybe hear... Uh, no, it's a great question. Yeah. So, so the movement of the rib cage is going to affect and the position of the rib cage is going to affect the mechanics of their breathing mm. and it's going to affect like, yeah, shoulder function, hip function, core, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and the breathing bit of it, of like how sensitive we are to carbon dioxide and all that, we have to address both and we have to address, like at the moment, I work mainly with individuals and it's done on an individual basis of like, mm -hmm. 
what do they want and what do I think they need? And we try and find a common place where they want X. And if I think this is the most important, I've got to, I've got to convince them that we're going to start here and then get to there. But often there's a bit of both that we do. If, if you, if, if someone's ultimately like the hardest thing to, to change is the chemosensitivity to CO2, like make getting someone's ribs to move. Like I can do that in two, two minutes. But then they'll, when their ribs are moving a bit easier, it feels nicer and easier for them to breathe. So then they can calm their breathing down and, and, and breathe more efficiently. So they'll breathe less. And then that can then naturally help them if they're breathing less volume of air, help them with their CO2 sensitivity. But equally, working on the CO2 sensitivity first can actually be a doorway to help someone not in a rush to breathe and not need to breathe so hard so then they can breathe a little bit more with a bit more depth and depth doesn't mean big just depth in terms of like diaphragm it takes longer for you to breathe from down here than it does for you to breathe here and if it's going to take longer you need a better chemosensitivity of co2 so we approach it from i try to approach it from both ends yeah the, the missing so biggest missing piece is the chemosensitivity for most people hmm. Nice. And just going back half step now, I really resonated yeah. with that CO2 dump, which I great. That's in your competition environment. You said then in your practice environment, you want to basically learn to hold on to the CO2. So what? So now someone's training, they're doing a pressure session. Yeah. They again, they're at that phase where they almost feel like they're bending over and just having to gulp air. What advice would you give to athletes at that point? So if we feel that we can, and this is where. I'm just trying to say like the right thing for everyone. If you... so, It's going to be quite generic uh, right now. Yeah, I'm, but just allow, just the listen. I'm thinking more of the listeners to be like, don't get annoyed with the sort of, like, it depends. In this, I'm going to give, I'm just going to talk a couple of, of scenarios. Like, because one thing that we could do is I could try to choose to breathe solely through my nose to recover my breathing. The nose provides 50% more resistance than the mouth. That resistance will help you slow it down. It will keep more CO2 in. It's going to feel uncomfortable to do that psychologically and physiologically, but you're, you know, knowing that discomfort that you're feeling is just your body, like basically screaming, there's too much CO2 inside. And you go, it's okay. I'm just going to let it come through the nose and just a bit slower. We'll be fine. Like, I'm, you're not dying. I promise you. And you're definitely not running out of oxygen. Put a pulse oximeter on you. That'll prove to you that you're not running out of oxygen. Oxygen is not a problem at all. So that could be one thing, but. If I'm breathing through the nose in my recovery and I'm like, and I'm literally like forcing it and making it very stressful, that's potentially not that ideal. Like you're, I want us to be able to mechanically breathe well. And I want us to be able to be able to manage like the rate at which that breathing is going on. So not making it too stressful is really important because one, if it's too stressful, you try it later today. You, and it's it's just going to feel crap. You're just not going to engage in doing it again. So not making it too stressful, trying to make it like a diaphragmatic, more of an expansion out down here rather than just a vertical lifting of the chest and trying to get in control of the, get in control of the exhalation. Like I said, and if you can make it nasal, then great. If it feels a bit hard to do nasal in and out, you could do nose in, mouth out, and then gradually make it nasal. That would be one thing. The other thing that we do to work on CO2 tolerance training is we actually hold the breath whilst doing some of our, our conditioning work where you exhale so you do you finish a normal exhale then you hold the breath whilst you're doing some of the your conditioning work and you're then forcing the body to adapt to 
higher levels of CO2. You can, depending on the intensity working out how long the breath hold is, you can actually get your blood oxygen saturations to drop a bit, um, which then you're starting to expose yourself to a little bit of hypoxia, which we can get some benefits um, from our training there of the hypoxia, the lower oxygen, the higher CO2 is the, the hypercapnia. We get some benefits from both of those two two things whilst you're doing your conditioning work. And then the nice thing that's the nice thing, it's horrible, but the good thing that I like about it is you finish that breath hold, you're going to want to gasp. <laughs> you're going to want to gasp for air, but you can take what we're trying to explain and teach and go, how do you practice breathing when you really feel out of breath? Don't dump the CO2 because this is training. Try and keep it in, but try to get to nasal, try to control your excision, try to breathe diaphragmatically. And you're then starting to train in isolation from the challenge of your sport, but in yeah. your conditioning session, you're practicing the respiratory part of of your training, which doesn't get... I know when you're training, you, you'll feel you're breathing more, so you think you're training your breathing. You're not actually training your breathing unless you manipulate the resistance or the volume of air. You have to manipulate those two things to actually train the respiratory system effectively. Brilliant. Fascinating. Jacko, thank you so much for explaining that. I think that, yeah, listeners are going to be loving that. So <laughs> I know you've been super kind with your time and information. I want to make sure that people can... I haven't got anything else left to feel like I've said anything. My I've got God. a diagram of a nose. There we go. <laughs> That's about it. That's the only thing I'm not used to yet. Breathe, breathe. Keep it nasal through this fella. This is actually Lovely. helpful, actually. For those that okay. do it on the video, look, mm -hmm. your airway goes backwards and down. Mm -hmm. And when you see that, you're like, oh, yeah, of course it does. Mm. But most of the time, we breathe up the nose. Yes. And, the, and, it, and it makes the rest of the body go vertical with it. Mm. And when we're just lifting that rib cage up, we're not getting the expansion of the ribs. Mm. yeah quite nice less efficient almost, I'm, I'm visualizing like when i'm going to breathe i'm going to visualize that horizontal plane with that like a little rolling down a hill back and back towards totally the the quite like that that's yeah. quite cool so listen you've got a couple of things that that people might be interested in obviously oxygen advantage but you've got pro breath work which is an app i believe do you want to give a quick little shout out about that and like why it's so beneficial and why people should go check it out yeah yeah so like i'm part of the oxygen advantage so i'm one of the master instructors with oxygen advantage which means i i teach the certification so you can become certified with with patrick McKeon himself or any of the master instructors i run the mentoring program for other coaches for the oxygen advantage alongside with gray cause and georgie lawler and that's like my main role there teaching other coaches and then mentoring other coaches and then that my own work that i do is predominantly with professional athletes say in 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 rugby with yeah professional and international athletes there and a few in football but my main sport being a little bit in cricket but my main sport being rugby because just i played rugby that's mm. why i know that's my sport and so what with pro breath work what i like to do is try to make available the things that we're teaching the professional athletes like available to everyone so there's there's a, i've got a membership where you get access to all of the different programs and courses i've got on there as well as a WhatsApp group with all the different coaches that are part of the membership and then monthly calls to carry on our learning. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's part of the membership. Or you can just buy one of the, the courses or programs. But there are two... Where would people go find you at that? Where would they Google? Yes, yeah, so, uh, probreathwork.com. Or the app is just called ProBreathwork app. Uh, so it's available as a, a online learning as well as the app. There's two free courses, Foundations of Breathing. That's completely free. I think there's like seven or eight modules. That's completely free. Most people, they don't even need more than that, but the, the basics and the foundations 
I want to make available to everyone. And then the other one that's free is for stress and anxiety. So if it's specifically you struggle with stress management and, and, and anxiety, the breathing part that can help with that, there's a full course for that. It was, I think when I was recording it, it wasn't supposed to be um, free, but by the time I finished it, I was like, it just doesn't feel right to charge someone money for something yes, when it's, what well, that. that's what it's helpful. So that one is also yep. free. Brilliant. Yeah. Amazing. And where can people follow you on Instagram? Do you know your Instagram handle off, off, off the top of your head? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm probably most active on Instagram, which is jacko.david.jackson. And that thing of the air coming in, there's a little video on there that went viral. I think it's got like 4 million views of me basically sh sticking something in my face through the nose to show how horizontal that airway is that goes back. So if you haven't watched that, I can tell you haven't because you would have referenced it when you were no, talking about it. No, so no, go and have a look at that after this. That's a, it's a little bit, it's a little bit, but it's a little bit of a party trick. Let's say it's a visual, it's a better, it's a more yeah, eye-catching visual than the diagram, yeah. but it is my way of demonstrating functional anatomy is how I, that's how I say it. I got banned on TikTok originally. TikTok said it was dangerous. And I said, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> I said, no, it's not dangerous. I'm like teaching like there's something really important here. And then they, so I objected it and then they, then they let it be. And then, Great way uh, to go viral. They, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just sticks stuff yeah. in your face. But it's, yeah, and it does. It makes a big difference for people when they see, they go, because that's what I was going to say. It's not that I've got some sort of fancy nose because I'm a breathing coach. Now, mine's exactly the same as everyone else's. And actually, I've got quite a narrow face and a compromised um, palate and airway. But no, everyone's airway goes backwards, just like it shows on there. It goes back. You don't have to put something in your face to prove that to yourself. You can just think about <laughs> breathing into your face rather than up your nose. Yeah. Caveats. So listen, all that will be in the show notes, by the way. So if anyone wants awesome. those links, go check it on the show notes. Jacko, you've been an absolute surprise. You know what? I've, there's... I had a whole bunch of questions. We didn't even get close to answering them. We'll ask them. We'll do Maybe part two. Part we'll two. do part two. Yeah, if there's a part two, I'd love to go keep going down. This has been an absolute treat. Thank you so much. And listen, I can't wait to connect more with you because there's so many cool things I think we can talk about. No, cheers. No, thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening to me ramble on about, about breathing. <laughs>